And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Last week, we talked about 12 teams in the Eastern Conference who have a shot at the Stanley Cup in a year where anything is expected. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the Western Conference. Who are the top dogs? Who is primed to disappoint? Who could surprise? And who could be going all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals? Episode 229 of the Lace Them Up Podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh, we will talk about um, a bit of news here and there um, in the podcast, particularly pertaining to the Arizona Coyotes. We'll do that in a bit. Um, as mentioned, uh, live on our previous episode, Seattle Kraken, welcome to the NHL. Their yep. jerseys are sick, their logos are great, and uh, can't wait to see what uh, they have in store. Uh, but uh, today, Brett, as mentioned, uh, the Western Conference takes center stage with hockey just a few days away. Yeah, and in fact, as we record this, I mean, I guess when you hear this tomorrow or on Wednesday... Um, some games will actually already be playing um, right now. Yeah, exhibition games, we should clarify. Yep, Each exactly. team will get one exhibition game before uh, their round-robin or playing series begins. Yeah, so so that's exciting. And also on that, I didn't. I was seeing on Twitter that uh, the Kraken join the Lightning and the Wild as the other teams in the NHL that don't end in an S. Um, which is kind of interesting. Also, the Colorado Avalanche, they're in that list. Oh, yeah, Avalanche are the other one, too. Uh, that's a, I, I knew I was missing one, but I was hoping <laughs> you didn't catch me there. Um, yeah, and I'm sure there's, like, other teams in other leagues have, and mm-hmm. don't the Miami, The Miami Heat is another one. Utah Jazz. I mean, we can go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, uh... Yeah, so let's get going here. We're going to do the same thing that we did for the Eastern Conference, for the Western Conference here. Um, So uh, we're going to start off with the number five Oilers and the number 12 Blackhawks. It's kind of interesting that the Oilers are the five seed here um, because they are, you know, they, they have the two best players in the league. Um, before you get going on your preview here, Steve, um, Crawford, uh, Corey Crawford, uh, tested positive for COVID. So that means that he's not going to be playing, uh, in this series at least, um, you know, assuming, um, I mean, I guess eventually he, after the two weeks and assuming he's all okay, um, I would imagine he would go into the next round if the Blackhawks make it. But yeah, if if, if the Blackhawks get there, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, of course. But uh, that's a mighty big if. But yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. So and and the the other strange thing about it, especially, is that the Blackhawks don't even have like that's been their uh, issue for the Blackhawks for the past couple of times is that when Crawford's injured. They have no one in goal, really, so I don't know what they're going to do. And also, uh, Brent Seabrook is out. Uh, Andrew Shaw, he was... He's also out. I had forgotten he was on the Blackhawks because I thought he was on Montreal. Uh, But, yeah, it turns out that Andrew Shaw, he had a concussion, um, and the doctors advised him that 
It just like he he could probably play, but it uh, it makes sense to just wait this out. Just it's not worth the risk. Um, I guess Seabrook is just just. I don't know. He, well, he, he, he's coming off, as you remember, oh, he, um, yeah. midway through the season, he had multiple surgeries at okay. once, and he's still rehabbing those, and he said he was going to give it a shot and try to play in this play-in tournament, and uh, uh, just just for the sake of uh, being like more comfortable on the ice, um, I think that played a factor in him not playing, but um, he certainly attempted to play, uh, just didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, wow, I haven't just seen here that Corey Crawford is going to play in the exhibition game. What the hell? Is that... Yeah, so I guess he tested positive, uh, I guess more than 14 days ago. Yeah, maybe it's like an Austin Matthews type thing. That's possible. Yeah, or, or uh, there was also, um, Breck Kulak of the Canadians as well okay. also said that he tested positive a couple weeks ago okay. as well. Yeah. So I'm sure the NHL wouldn't allow them to like even be on the ice, right? If it was like much sooner than the 14 day period, yeah. Like they wouldn't put him out there and until like it was determined that he doesn't have it anymore. Right. Right. That's a good point. Um. Okay. Um. So. So yeah. I mean, maybe they. I. I guess. We could give them the benefit of the doubt. But anyways. Uh. I think what we were doing last week is whoever has the higher seed goes first with their previous. So, Steve, take it away. Yeah, well, you might be surprised to know that uh, Edmonton has averaged the third fewest shots per game this year, uh, the lowest average in this 2014 format. The only two teams that average less are the Detroit Red Wings and the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Chicago, meantime, has averaged 31.8 shots per game. Uh, what cost the Hawks... The ability to win those games where they get those shots on goal is their inability to stop the shots coming their way. Uh, they average 35.1 shots against per game. If you think that's a lot, it's because it is. They're all alone in first place. No other team has averaged that many shots against per game. Uh, the Rangers are in second, and they're 1.4 shots per game behind Chicago. So that's how one-sided it was. Um, in one-goal games... Chicago, 11-9-8, part of the reason, probably because they give up a lot of those shots. Uh, that's the third worst winning percentage overall in one goal games, by the way, 11-9-8 for the Hawks. Um, and they've only outshot their opponent in 23 of the 70 games completed. Of those 23 games, they won 11 and dropped 12. So they're even below 500 when they outshoot their opponents. Um, and still on the season, they're 32, 30, and 8, which is pretty decent. 6, 4, and 0 in the 10 games prior to the season being halted. Uh, their penalty kill on par with the Oilers. Uh, the Oilers are uh, near the top of the league with an 84.4% success rate on the PK. Uh, Chicago's success rate is 82.1%. Pretty good. Then you look at the power plays, and there is a huge gap. Chicago, 15.2%. Edmonton, 29.5%, near 30%, and 14.3% better mm -hmm. than Chicago. And yes, I know it's because of McDavid and Dreisaitl, but still, 29.5% is 29.5%, uh, which leads me to how important the special teams battle is going to be in this uh, best of five series. 
Um, the Oilers, not known for like a top five power play in terms of like power play chances, but they're near the top of the NHL when it comes to power play goals scored. And again, McDavid and Dreisaitl, but they also have Nugent Hopkins, they have Yamamoto, um, Zach Cassian, an underrated guy that can score. Um, so they have a lot of offensive weapons. Oscar Clefbaum and Darnell Nurse on the point as well. Uh, when scoring first, Edmonton is 29-7-3, so that plays to their advantage. Um, the only other team on the PK uh, that's uh, given up fewer goals, actually none have given up fewer goals than the Oilers. The Jackets have given up the same as the Oilers on the PK. Uh, that's 31 goals. So again, talking about Edmonton and their good penalty kill, uh, not just good, it's great. And uh, they can block shots. Um despite giving the puck away they can make up for their mistakes and that's something that the oilers weren't good at they couldn't cover up their mistakes in the past but now that they have a structured game um, that changes things in terms of my x factor for the oilers uh i'm gonna go with darnell nurse uh posted 170 shots on goal 33 points in 71 games this year uh, led the team with 172 hits finished second on the team in block shots with 141 played almost 145 minutes on the penalty kill, averaged 23 minutes, 27 seconds per game. And uh, on the power play, only got 75 minutes and change, but if Clefbaum misses time, Nurse maybe could slot into that top spot on the Oilers' power play. And this team had a lot of guys with um, a good number of power play minutes, a good number of penalty killing minutes. So. Even if Darnell Nurse isn't like the best guy on the field, there are some other guys that can step in and, and help out. Um, but Darnell Nurse, just the talent and the size that he brings, it's going to be huge for the Oilers. Um, so I'm really interested uh, to see what he'll be able to do against Chicago, who, uh, I'll be honest, their defense is, once again, uh, cut below the Oilers. Yeah, especially without Seabrook and uh connor murphy as well mm -hmm. so yeah and duncan keith nearing the end of his yeah, prime of course if not already yeah. at the end um yeah the the oilers um if, if you want a prediction oh right sorry if you want a prediction I'll, I'll say it i'll say it now oilers in four games okay uh that's interesting here um so yeah uh so yeah, you you kind of took took a lot of the same marks as I did. Darnell Nurse is a uh, good choice as an X factor there. Um, I I was just looking here because uh, I have the injury report open here now. Um, I found that Darnell Nurse and Yamamoto um, got an entanglement um, on Saturday's scrimmage, but it looks like both are okay. But Darnell Nurse is on the on the sheet here, so maybe he's not going to play in the exhibition. We we don't know, but maybe it's just. I I will series. also quickly mention there, Brett. Sorry to interrupt. Um, that Mike Green has pulled Brett, out of the tournament. Uh, yeah, I was about to mention him too. Family reasons, so um, that's why I say Darnell Nurse could also be an X factor because sure. Mike Green won't be there, and that likely means he'll get uh, a bit more ice time. Yeah. with uh, a veteran presence like Green not participating. Right. Well, I was about to mention Mike Green too, but. Um, yeah, the, the, so that, that makes it interesting, um, for, I, I assume Darnell Nurse will be back, but, um, he is on the injury report, so just take that for, for what it is. Um, 
Yeah, the yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think I, I talked about it before, but it's it's always I I I think it's incredible that the Oilers have like the two best players in the game in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Um and like that's not the only players that they have on the team now. It seems like you know the years in the past where this isn't like a team that just underperforms uh, heavily. This is like going to be a team that that could make it could make a serious run um, in the playoffs, um, and not just because of McDavid and Drysaddle, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He had sixty one points in sixty five games. Uh, Oscar Kleffbaum uh, uh, took it up a notch this year too with thirty four points in sixty two games. You have some a bit of grit and like a Tom Wilson, Brad Marchand type player in Zach Cassian. Uh, he can score and he can fight and he can uh, instigate stuff. Um, so that's interesting. You mentioned Darnell Nurse, Callier Yamamoto. Like he's when he joined the team um, and he was a part of the Drysdale and Nugent Hopkins line. Uh, you know he he made like the Oilers went into second gear almost. So um, yeah, so they're gonna be a good team. The only real question mark for the Oilers is uh, their goaltending, um, yep. and uh, Koskinen has been okay. Um, he's been pretty good, actually. I'm looking at his save percentage right now at nine seventeen, um, but uh, and Mike Smith has hasn't been as good. He has a nine oh two save percentage, um, but so Miko Koskinen has been better as uh, better than Mike Smith has been, but. It's still, um, it seems like they're like, they've both played 38, uh, about 38 games each this year. So they're kind of splitting the time. So um, I am curious how they're going to do that. But that's probably like the, the biggest weakness for the Oilers in general. Um, I don't think it's going, like, yes, uh, Patrick Kane is scary um, and. Alex DeBrincat and Dominic Kubalik um, have their moments, but um, I I don't think it's going to have a huge effect on the Oilers, as you've mentioned, because of their defense. Um, it's just getting going. Like they'll, they'll be good in a couple of years, especially if um, guys like Adam Bockvist um, and Bodine um, and the other guy, Ian Mitchell, um, mm-hmm. they all, like, develop nicely, but, uh, you know, I think the Blackhawks, they could make a run, because they do have the experience, but I, I just, I think the Oilers have this, because they, um, they just have a better team, um, and also not to mention the, the fact that, I mean, there is, like, that intangible of, like uh, Colby Cave, who died in yeah in the cold things, so they're all they're they're all playing for Colby Cave, mm-hmm. um, and there there's kind of like a bit of camaraderie. I mean, obviously, you know, like a there's a tragedy there, but um, I mm-hmm. think there is something to like that teamwork aspect of it, where they all they're all playing for their their lost teammates. So, mm-hmm. um, and and like the Blackhawks, yeah. in I think it was when they won the cup in twenty fifteen. I yeah. think it was their equipment manager that passed away mid season, and yeah. um, 
when they right. hoisted the Stanley Cup, you know, they 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 referenced um, his passing and 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 honor and yep. uh, honoring him like at at the parade as well. So like he was definitely in their minds as well. So like something like that uh, can can definitely help a team bond a, a little bit more and sure. and just like fight for something, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so I think the Blackhawks do definitely have the experience because you have Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, um, and a bunch, and um, Duncan Keith, and Corey Crawford, mm-hmm. who have all, you know, won uh, three cups um, in their career. Uh, but I think um, they're all kind of past their prime in a way. Except, oh, well, Patrick Kane's still really, really good, obviously, but. Yeah. Um, it seems like Taze and Keith aren't as good as they used to be. Um, so, and Crawford. So I think, um, I, I just don't think it's going to be enough. And uh, I, I'm going to say the Oilers in four. Um, as for my uh, X Factor for the Blackhawks, I'm going to go with, um, so Patrick Kane, I mean, is an obvious one because he's, mm-hmm. but he's the best player. Um, if, if Patrick Kane gets going, he could steal the series, basically, um, by himself. He's that good. But um, the act, but since I feel like that's cheating because he is their best player, um, I'm going to go with Alex Dabrinkat um, instead. Because the thing that's interesting with Dabrinkat, and you'll, you'll notice the theme with all my X-Factors, or most of my X-Factors here, um, is that... That all these X factors, they had a, they've, we know what they're capable of in their regular season or in seasons past, but this year something happened and it hurt their development or something like that. Uh, so last year, Alex DeBrincat had forty-one goals and seventy-six points this year. Uh, this this past regular season, obviously it's an eighty-two uh, games, so that's not as bad, but in 70 games, he only had, he didn't even get 20 uh, goals, so, and he had 45, he just had 45 points in 70 games, so he took a, he took a misstep in uh, points, and I'd be curious to see if, um, how he does if he gets going, and if he does get going, um, then he'll, I think, he'll, he'll be scary, and I could see, I don't think the 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 Blackhawks will win, even if he does uh, get going. But um, yeah, I, I don't think. Um, but like, I would be curious to. He'll definitely make push the Blackhawks to maybe five games um, instead of four. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think like the interesting thing about it is when I've been look because he's on my fantasy team, so I have a vested interest in him. Um, and I was like, apparently, people are saying like the advanced stats look good. It's just that he's been unlucky. Um, like his PDO is pretty high, um, and his shooting percentage is pretty low. Um, so um, compared to where, where his career was. So I think I could see it where eventually the goals will come, will be coming, but, um, I'll be curious to see if, if he, um, he's going to be the the one to watch for in terms of like, if he can actually get going again. 
Mm-hmm. Like you talked about to the Brinkett, and he had 18 goals and 45 points. Yeah. He surpassed 200 shots. So you're yeah. right. The the advanced stats, like even the shots on goal, like are there. Yeah. Like he had his chances. Um, and you talk about how dynamic uh, Patrick Kane is. Um, he had 110 points the previous season. He had 33 goals and 84 points in 70 games this year, which mm-hmm. is still pretty good. Um, but you look at uh, where he ranked in some offensive categories. Second in wrist shots this year with 188. Uh, fourth overall in backhanders with 31. 506 zone entries, 187 slot completions, 67 seconds worth of offensive zone puck possession per game. That's NHL top five. Yep. And all of those three stats that I mentioned, zone entries being the big one, um, um, Duncan Keith, his offensive abilities are fading, but he had 243 defensive zone blocks. That's top five in the NHL. Um, 45 points for Debrinket. You mentioned um, 200 shots plus for Debrinket. Yeah. Uh, then you look at Dylan Strome, 38 points in 58 games. Brandon Saad, 33 points, 58 games. Nealander, 26 points. Kirby Dock, 23 points. Again, pretty good depth, but better than the Oilers. Good enough to beat the Oilers? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I was going to mention Kubalik and Nylander and Strom as well, because those are guys that, um, well, especially for Strom and, and Doc, and um, although I, uh, especially for Strom and Nylander, they, you know, they both were um, high draft picks and all that stuff, but um, they could, they do have the potential to, to grow and, and be better than what they are, but um yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's their year this year. Um, I think this is a team that just, you know, wasn't going to make the playoffs anyways or didn't even have playoffs hopes to begin with, so they're just lucky to be there. But, um, I mean, there is that intangible of Kane and Taves, but I just I just don't see it, um, especially with this uh, uh, Oilers mm, team like, that they're like up it, against. Yeah, like... This, this is one of those years where the Hawks are better off not winning the series. Yeah. Like, even if they don't win the lottery for Lafreniere, they'll still get a pretty decent, like, pick in, like, the top ten of course, around yeah. there. And there's a lot of depth in that top ten. So I think they're better off just building yeah. up on their future than beating the Oilers and then probably losing the first round anyway. Right, right. It's, it is interesting that whoever loses this uh, the series I don't want getting Lafreniere, so it's it'll it'll be fun, but uh, we'll see. Um, yeah. All right, now we go to the Preds and Coyotes. Um, so the interesting thing about this, and if we didn't have the playoffs uh, previews to do, this would be our top story, but um, or what we would cover. But John Chica quit, and. Um, and it, it, like we'll have more details on this uh, next week, but it appears that yeah. And to specify to specify, the team says he quit. Well, no, that's I, what the team says. He says differently, but the the team the team has basically labeled him a quitter. He quit yeah. on the team. But he also like he wrote his resi- resignation letter and he he put that out in the public too. But mm-hmm. but yes it. Needless to say, it, it turned out to not be, yeah. um, it, it seems like it, they did not leave on good terms. 
um, something involving like another team inquired <laughs> with Chica, and then there was uh, something um, apparently Chica wasn't even involved in the Hall negotiations um, for Hall and management met for um, extension reasons and Chica wasn't there, which is a bit odd um, <laughs> for a GM to not be there. Especially yeah, especially considering like that. uh, that's the GM's job is to talk yeah. contracts, right? Not the owners. And especially since Chico was involved in the trade to get Taylor Hall there. <laughs> um, so that, that's another yeah. reason. But uh, yeah, so we're definitely going to talk more about it. But um, but I just wanted to note that. Cause yeah. it, uh, let, let's, yeah. let's just say when the team wants the commissioner to intervene, yeah. I don't think that's exiting on good terms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely, because, because I expect that there's going to be more to this, um, in the Mm -hmm. coming weeks, um, but, or, uh, next week even, but, uh, now we're just uh, going to do it. It's also just such a strange time to do it, because, like, why didn't we just do it when the Devils and the Sabres fire their GM? Like, you could have just done it then. (laughs) Like, if you have to fire a GM, just do it then. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, so it's it's a strange time. It reminds me of like yeah, the, I I agree the yeah. timing. The timing is is a little suspicious. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and yeah, so so there's that, but um, but yeah, it'll definitely have an effect on on the Coyotes team. I I would imagine, um, just because it's uh. Yeah, it's just an interesting aspect of things. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll start with the playoff preview, but we'll we'll have more to it next week. Um, yeah, so the the Preds and this is one of the more boring series I would have to admit of all the eight series that are happening right now. This is one of the ones that aren't as exciting. Um, I guess it's just because both the Preds and the Coyotes aren't in GM like we're a special kind of format to the playoffs, but hey, they they got something to play for, right? So, yeah, it's 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 strange. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um. Matt. Uh. So now on to the actual play, but I'm sure this Chica stuff will have an effect on the NHL, um, on, on the Coyotes in general, for sure. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, the, the thing that's interesting, or as I've been mentioning, of the eight series that are going on, this Preds-Coyotes series is probably the most boring um, not be, not because neither team is bad or anything. It's just that um, they're it's not. It's just the other series are better. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> also, like both the Coyotes and the the Preds don't score that often. Um, yeah, no, they don't. So, so that's that's the bigger reason. Um, yeah. But like, which is kind of which is kind of funny when you look at the talents they have. Right. For sure, yeah. You have got, like, you know, the interesting thing about uh, the uh, Coyotes in general is, like, they get Taylor Hall, they get Phil Kessel in the mix, and 
although Taylor Hall actually was decent um, in the 35 game regular season games that he played for mm-hmm. the Coyotes, he had 27 points. Um, but like, he, it's still. Um, you know, it's still it's still not Hart Trophy Taylor exactly. Hall from twenty seventeen. It's not. It's not like we know what he was capable of when he was on the Devils a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So and that's what like, they were expecting in Arizona when, when he got exactly. traded. Exactly. So it's basically like it's a cliche when you're talking about the Coyotes because like it's like it's where all the scoring goes to die. Um, in the desert, basically. <laughs> yeah, just look at Phil yeah. Kessel, what he did Kessel, in his years sure. with the Penguins, and this year it's a big drop. Yeah, and another indicator of how bad scoring is for the Arizona Coyotes is that the best point, like the highest point guy, on, or the mo- the guy who has the most points on the Coyotes right now is Nick yep. Schmaltz. He has 45 points. <laughs> um, yeah, not even like, 50 points. Yeah, so... Um, so, yeah. Dale McCarr had more points than Nick Schmaltz. Yeah, I, I think you'd probably be like, like just because I was just looking at the Oilers stats, he would be like fourth on the <laughs> Oilers um, in points <laughs> if you were on the Oilers. Uh, so, so yeah, not good. Um, however, they do have the best. Um, I, I guess I'm maybe Rask and Hollock are probably better, but I'm a little bit biased, but. They have a, the best goalie tandem, um, and it's it's inter- in Kemper and Ranta. And it's interesting, too, between them because they're both, one of them are usually injured. Um, and, yeah. and Kemper's, and Kemper's yeah. been injured this year, too. Exactly. So, well, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, both have injury history, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kemper was out for long, but he uh, he just recently, I guess he's going to be back. So that's gonna be interesting, but he was like pulling a Vezina Trophy like, yeah, candidacy before he got injured. He really good. Where he had two point two two GAA and a save percentage of nine twenty eight. Yeah, like you yeah. look at expected versus actual goals against in the NHL. Kemper is in the top five. Yeah. And so is Ranta. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Are in the top five. Ranch has a nine twenty one save percentage and a GAA of two point six three. So yeah, they're that that's that's what's gonna keep the Coyotes in it is their goaltending. Yeah. Um and I mean unless like Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel turn into their former selves. Um again. Mm-hmm. So And and Matt Duchesne doesn't. And Matt Duchesne doesn't, <laughs> right. Uh which brings me to the Predators. Um because uh, they're the interesting thing about the Predators is the highest point scorer on the Predators uh, to get a sense of how bad their scoring is is the highest point scorer is Roman Yossi, who's a defenseman, um, and he has sixty five points. The next closest is Philip Forsberg, who doesn't even have fifty points. Um, he has forty eight points in sixty three games. So uh, that just goes to show you how um, how poor offenses on the predator side um i would say i would say underwhelming because the potential yeah. is there they of course. just haven't done it right because we know especially with forsberg duchene and arvidson and johansson too mm-hmm. um 
We know even what Ryan, even Ryan Ellis too. Like yeah, Ryan, Ryan Ellis, Ellis missed too. a lot of time due to injury, and his yeah. offensive numbers are great too. Right, but like we know what they're all capable of doing c- right. just because of what they've been able to do last season. But yeah, it's just their mm-hmm. actual the fact that they can't really score. Um, it's just not as good as what we're used to or as what we're expecting of them. So it's. It's definitely a thing, especially Victor Arvidsson. I didn't even realize he, had, he only had 28 points in 57 games, which is pretty crazy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, anyways, my X Factor uh, for the Predators is Matt Duchesne um, in particular. Yep. Uh, the interesting thing, like, there was such a hubbubaloo last year when he was a free agent and things like that of that nature. Um, and he, you know, and for good reason, he had, he had 58 points in 50 games for a bad Ottawa Senators team. Then he goes to the Blue Jackets and has 12 points in 23 games. He's a big part of the reason why the Blue Jackets even swept the, um, the, uh, the Lightning. Um, he had 10 playoff points in 10 playoff games that year, so, um, but this year, he has uh, 40, 42 points in 66 games. Not bad, but not great either, or not what we are expecting out of him. Um, especially yeah. when he has, like he's making $8 million a year. So <laughs> so I think um, he can... I, I'd be curious to see if he can take it up a notch in the same way to see if Phil Kessel can take it up a notch in the playoffs. Because Phil Kessel's also pretty good in the playoffs, too. Um, so... Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they do, but I think both um, both the Predators and the Coyotes kind of are pretty similar team, where their goaltending is really good um, or decent. Um, especially, well, I guess for the Predators, UC Saros um, is really good. Um, he has a 9-14 save percentage and a 2.7 GAA. And then, remember, there was like a moment early on in the year where like Pecorine, um was really bad, and and so was mm-hmm. UC Saros, and a lot of that had to do with Peter Laviolette um, being the coach there. But then I guess they got a new coach, um, and and then and then they started winning from there. So it's it's kind of like uh, in a way, it's kind of like what uh, Craig Berube did for the Blues last year. Um, so maybe it'll be the same kind of thing. Um, so I, I like to think of both these teams as pretty similar. They have pretty good goaltending and defense. Um, we didn't even talk about Jacob Chikrin and OEL on the Coyote side because they're both underrated players. Um, and so is uh, Alex Kolagoski is another one. Um, but um, so yeah, they have they both have really good defense and really good goaltending, but their forwards depth isn't quite there just yet um and even their top players are um underperforming um especially today so i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with the upset here i'm gonna go with the coyotes and five um i i just i think that i i know that the the this chica thing is probably gonna have an effect on them but um i don't know i think they're I think they are a more talented team, um, especially when you add Taylor Hall into the mix. 
Yeah, that's 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 pretty interesting. Like when you look at the the Arizona Coyotes, and you're right, they're kind of this like underrated team where they're just like there, but like other than like when they traded for Taylor Hall and, and Phil Kessel, like not too many people were talking about them like nationwide. Like yeah. like in the local papers, you know, they're probably getting traction. They're just like, oh man, these Coyotes, you know, they bring back the Kachina jerseys and ticket sales go up when uh, they bring in Kessel and. There's a lot of buzz, but around the NHL, everyone's just like, eh, it's Arizona, who cares? Right. Um, but but uh, there are a lot of good talents. You talk about Jacob Chikrin. Near the top of the NHL's leaderboard in defensive zone stick checks this year, which is pretty good. Um, Oliver ekman Larson committed long-term, your best defenseman, arguably. That's great for the future of the Coyotes organization. Him getting to play in playoff games is great for him and for the organization because since 2012 like that's eight years of waiting for playoff hockey how many of the guys on the current coyotes have played in playoff games like phil kessel is near the top of the list taylor hall's only played in five playoff games and put up decent numbers but still only five playoff games and he was brought in to like help them reach the playoffs um i think the lack of the playoff experience could be a factor as well whereas you look at the predators Yes, they've underperformed. Yes, they have their own question marks. Yes, their time is running out. They know how to win in the playoffs. They've been to the finals. They've been to the conference finals. I think that level of experience is is going to pay dividends for Nashville, um, especially just when you consider how things have gone the last few playoff runs. You're talking about a motivated group of players that know that their time is almost up on this core. So everyone's Redick in 2018 was like oh you know the washington capitals you know, they're gonna disappoint again they're they don't have what it takes and and then that finally happens for them so maybe just maybe it happens for the national predators and um and 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 then you look at the other side of a team that like struggles to like win playoff games um although the last time they made the playoffs they had one heck of a run and they went to the conference finals but that was 2012 you know guys like oliver ekman larson uh, didn't play a pivotal role on this team. Phil Kessel was in Toronto. Taylor Hall was in Edmonton. <laughs> that was long before the Oilers had Connor McDavid on their team. So, like, a lot has changed in the past eight years, and you still have a team, relatively speaking, that hasn't played a drop of playoff hockey going up against a team that has been used to playoff um, appearances, and they've been through the ups and the downs of NHL playoff hockey. Um, and then you have the psyche of your GM leaving. It'll be interesting to see how that plays into Arizona's favor or against them, because it, it could it could either go one of two ways. Actually, it could go three ways. Right. Uh, the first is Nashville's a better team than you, and it doesn't matter. The other is our GM just left. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? And then you get pulverized by Nashville. Or you rally around as a unit and become one and just say, yeah, you know what? Forget this guy. We don't need him. We can do, we can, we can play good hockey without him. And then they shock everyone and they beat Nashville. So uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see uh, how the uh, Arizona Coyotes uh, approach that. Um, As for my X factor in the Coyotes, I'm not going to take Nick Schmaltz. And I could take a lot of players like Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel. I'm going to take Christian Dvorak. Um, so uh, the leading scorer, as we mentioned, Nick Schmaltz with 45 points. Clayton Keller had 44. Five of their skaters posted between 22 and 28 points. Six others posted between 30 and 39 points. 
Christian Dvorak was on the list of 30 to 39 point getters. He had 38 points in 70 games, 18 goals, 20 assists. Uh, on the power play, six goals forces for 10 points. 134 shots, which is eighth on the roster. You're thinking, eh, not great. But again, the Coyotes. Uh, the one thing he displayed at times, though, was chemistry on the top six. In the second half, it's crucial for Arizona to have that in the playoffs. It's one thing that can tip the scale in any series. And yeah, motivated Phil Kessel and motivated Taylor Hall and good goaltending will definitely tip the scale but they need one of those other top six guys to play a pivotal role, like Bobby Ryan was for the Sens in 2017, just to name one example. And I think Christian Dvorak can be that guy. Um, is it gonna make a bit of a difference? Uh, <laughs> that is the question. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna take Preds in five. Okay. I think five. the Coyotes give them a run for their money, but it won't be enough. Interesting, okay. That uh, that that concludes us. I thought you were. I would have probably gone with Connor Garland, or Jacob yeah. Chikrin, but uh, I I do like that choice of Christian Dvorak. I feel like uh, the the Coyotes have a bunch of underrated players, so you yeah. can really go wrong there. Um, Clayton Keller is another one, and I want to see if he can turn it up too. Um, all right, uh, let's go to the Canucks and the Wild. Uh, preview here. We uh, I don't have any injuries to announce except for the fact that Brock Besser uh, is returning to play. Um, this is I mean obviously it's notable because Brock Besser is a good player, but uh, it's also notable because the uh, Canucks, if you remember, they made a trade. Uh, they traded a pretty good prospect in Tyler Madden and a couple of other uh, picks to the Kings to get Tyler Toffoli, and this was because they thought they wouldn't get Brock Besser during the playoffs, so they wanted Toffoli as their replacement for Besser, and now they're gonna get both. So uh, it can only help matters, I guess. Um, and it's also kind of interesting too, because now there's rumors that they're gonna trade Brock Besser because they wanna keep Tyler Whoever Toffoli. Whoever gets the least amount of points yeah. between these two is getting traded. Basically, that's that seems to be what, what the consensus consensus is here, but I'm gonna let you go I here. It's really fair, but yeah. yeah. I'm gonna let you go first, um, because yeah, you get the higher seed for the X Factor, so you're free to here. Yeah, so um, we mentioned how long of a wait it was for the Arizona Coyotes to have something meaningful to play for. The Canucks haven't had something meaningful to play for since 2015 when uh, the Flames beat them in the first round. That was when Ryan Miller was their goaltender. Yep. And a lot has changed since then. Uh, Jakob Markstrom has emerged into an elite goalie. Um, at, at times, he's been their best player on the ice. Uh, fifth in terms of expected versus actual goals against. Um, and like one of those guys that can make 40 plus saves in a low scoring game, tip the scales and your team gets a W. Um, people forget at the time of the stoppage, however, Markstrom was hurt, Demko was in net and the Canucks were slowly fading. Yeah. Um, but now that he's back and presumably healthy, uh, that's huge news for the Canucks that Markstrom's in the fold. Mikhail Furland is one of those guys where his health's been in question all year. Um, probably continues to be in question. Sven Berchi, if they needed a depth guy if an injury or COVID ended up striking the team uh he's pulled out so they can't use him um but uh, other than that it should be everyone all there and accounted for for the Canucks which is good um 
speaking of things that have been all there, how about their power play? Their power play is one of the most lethal across the league. Uh, JT Miller in the top five forwards when it comes to power play minutes played this year. Uh, 27 goals, 45 assists for 72 points in 69 games. Very nice. To go with a respectable 165 shots, um, 9-16-25 stat line with the extra man. Again, pretty good. Uh, Brock Besser being Brock Besser. Elias Peterson making defenses look stupid. Uh, Quinn Hughes being awesome. Tyler Myers bringing some size to the back end. A fun team to watch and definitely a team on the rise. Minnesota is... Uh, how can I put it this way? Boring. Uh, <laughs> and they're going to have to play boring hockey. They're going to have to put their opponents to sleep if they want a shot. Um, we talked about, at times, Kevin Fiala and how he's been able to elevate his game in the second half. Um, he's going to have to be a key factor for their offense once again. Um, the tandem of Devin Dubnik and Alex Stalock hasn't been awesome, but not horrible. They've been decent. Um, they no longer have Jason Zucker. Um, at the moment, their defense looks pretty decent. There's Matt Dumba in the mix, Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Brodeen, who's been pretty underrated, does a pretty good job for them, and Ryan Suter as well as a veteran presence. Um, down the road, don't know how that defense is going to look like, but for now, um, they're going to need all of that defense to shut down uh, Vancouver's red-hot offense. Easiest way to do that is don't take penalties. And the easiest way to do that is don't cough up the puck. The good news is Minnesota's very, very good at puck discipline. Uh, fewest giveaways league-wide. So the less turnovers you commit, the less chance you have to be forced to take a penalty to stop a scoring chance. And that means the Canucks aren't doing their thing with the extra man, which they're really good at. Um, so the task is going to be challenging, again, because Minnesota doesn't generate too many shots on goal. They're, they play a boring brand of hockey. And it's tough to score without generating chances. So whenever they do get their chances, they're going to have to capitalize. And um, I think another thing that um, works against them is depth because the Vancouver Canucks have a lot of that. Jake Furtanen, for example, 150 shots, 18 goals on the year. Big step forward for him. Uh, if I have to go with the next factor, I'm taking Tanner Pearson. Uh, not Tyler Toffoli or Brock Besser. I'm going Tanner Pearson. Uh, you look at his stats, pretty good. Ranks fourth on the roster with 164 shots, uh, 69 games played. Very nice stat line of 21 goals and 24 assists for 45 points. Uh, three goals and seven assists for 10 points on the power play. He can play a top six role. Everyone, let's face it, is going to keep their eyes on guys like Quinn Hughes, guys like JT Miller, Brock Besser, Elias Peterson, and Tyler Toffoli. But guys like Tanner Pearson might go undetected, and that's going to open up the shooting lanes. Um, so look out for Tanner Pearson. As for prediction, Canucks in five games. Canucks in five. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I – yeah, this, this this is a strange time in my life because I never thought after the 2011 se uh, series I would actually <laughs> like the Vancouver Canucks. Um I, yeah, I'm going to admit it, I, I like the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I think Pedersen's one of the best players in the league um, and just really fun to watch. Uh, Quinn Hughes, of course, as an American here, and as well as Brock Besser. Um, and then, I'm, and then I, uh, I've watched Adam Gaudet, who was in Northeastern here. He came to 
Vancouver, and now he's like a pretty good depth player for them for sure too. So that that all adds to like, oh, this team is actually like a likable team, not like the team that had Alex Burrows and Aaron yeah. Rome and just a bunch of dirty guys on the I team. I think they so, had Maxime Lapierre too, yeah, who always drove one. me crazy. Yeah. Damn it! Now, now you're reminding me of I'm like. <laughs> Just I didn't like him when he was here. on Montreal. I know, I am. Now I'm, just, now I'm just getting angry. Uh, so, but, well, needless to say, I, I like this uh, Canucks team a lot. Um, and and they're, they're a good team. Um, like, you, you didn't really mention Jake, Jakob Markstrom, uh, who turned it up a notch. And I guess he's gonna he's also going to be playing again, too. Um, and it's, it's very fitting that... Because if the playoffs happen right now, um, I don't think the like the Canucks probably wouldn't have been ready because Markstrom was injured, Brock mm-hmm. Besser was injured. Um, I think they had a couple of other key injuries too that I'm blanking on. But um, those guys like they were injured, injured, and those are key players for them. And now that you know they take a couple months off, um, and now they're back, and both Markstrom and Besser are now. Playing. So that's that's all the the merrier for the Canucks, and it, it, it like I think the Canucks are probably the team that benefit the most out of out of this. Um, just having this playoff be in August as opposed to in April, um, I guess maybe the Penguins as well, just because they have Gensel. But um, and I was gonna say the Hurricanes with Dougie, but I think. Dougie seems to re-injure himself again, so um, so I can't say that anymore. Uh, but yeah, the the Canucks are um, a legitimate team, and I think like even I remember last year, like the big question mark was their defense, but I think with the addition of Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers, um, it helps their lineup uh, immensely, and especially. Like this J.T. Miller person, who I didn't think was capable of being a more than a point per player, um, and he's a point per player, so point per game player, um, point per player. I think I'm gonna coin that term. Now. I I I think I think it also um it, it's a case of like like he played with some good talent in New York, but. Yeah. As good a town as like Elias Peterson and Brock Bester and Quinn Hughes, I think he he's a guy that can thrive in the right system. Yeah, and this seems to be a perfect system for him. Well, he, I mean, he did play with a couple of those players in Tampa as well, but I guess he yeah, wasn't true. As and he and he was close to a point per game player on that top line. You're right. Well, he had forty like last year. He had forty seven points in seventy five games for Tampa. But mm-hmm. uh, but his first but year. I, I'm saying like when when uh, when the oh, McDonough trade happened though he was a point per game player or like yeah, close yeah. to it. Well, I remember back when that trade happened, I wasn't sure if he was worth a first round pick, but clearly <laughs> yeah. James uh, Benny knows more than I do, so uh, clearly <laughs> I um, I'm wrong on that. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I think the question mark was like uh, their defense. Um, in particular, but they added Quinn Hughes, um, who's like, he, he looks like a veteran out there. Um, 
And then you have Tyler Myers, who's pretty underrated on the defensive aspect too. I mean, he can he has he's been known to put up some points as well um, at times. So I think like just the additions of those guys in particular are um, helped the Canucks get to where they are. And I could see them making a significant run uh, this this round, um, this playoffs. So mm-hmm. so this is cool. As for the Minnesota side of things. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It kind of reminds me of, like, the Coyotes and the Predators who we just talked about. Like, they're kind of underwhelming. Um, and, like, the other thing about it is they're not even, like, supposed to be good. <laughs> um, they're, you know, like, they get... Um, Fenton kind of made all these trades last year um, that, like, kind of show that they were, they were rebuilding. He traded... Grandland uh, for Kevin Fiala, which turned out really well, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then there was also the uh, Donato. He got Donato out of Charlie Coyle. Um, and then there was another one that was kind of questionable. Uh, oh, Nino Nitterrider for Victor Rask, and that did not yeah. do well um, yeah, at cool. all. And then, um, and then. Uh, he signs Matt Zuccarella for like a long-term deal, uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy for someone who's like 32 years old. Um, and then, not to mention, you have Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, who have like seven more years left on their contract, and and they're not what they used to be. So, um, so they, uh, so they're kind of in trouble for for years past because you can't really rebuild when you have those those two contracts in particular on in your in your cap because no team's gonna take that um, no matter how good Parise and Suter are so right. so that's that's they're kind of in a dilemma for for a couple of years now because of that um, so it's not that Parise is bad or Ryan Suter is bad because I'm looking here. Uh, Suter leads the team in assist and Parise leads the team in goals. But Suter has 40 assists and Parise has 25 goals. So, you know, you have to, like, this is a team that doesn't really score that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you have to just take that into account. Um, I do... Do you like uh, Luke Kunin and Joel Erickson Eck um, and Jordan Greenway and Ryan Donato? They all have their moments and stuff like that. Um, but um, I, I don't think their depth, maybe in a couple of years, their depth will be there, but not at the moment. Um, yeah, so now we get to the X factor here. I think um, I'm going to go with. I mean, there is a debate because I think he is the best player on the team, but I'm going to go with him anyways. Uh, Kevin Fiala is going to be the guy here that I'm going to talk about. Um, he uh, So I think back when this trade happened with Granlin, Michael Granlin going to Nashville uh, for Kevin Fiala, I think our, Nash, our first reaction was just, what? <laughs> uh, why would... Minnesota do this. Granlin was a really good player. He still is a good player, but um, but then you're just like for Kevin Fiala, he seemed to just like his ceiling always seemed to be just a depth player. But um, uh, 
From February, um, I'm looking at his splits here, um, he had a crazy February and March. Um, in 19 games, I'm doing my classic calculating on the spot right here. Um, in 19 games, he had 26 uh, points um, from February and March. So that's, um, that's pretty incredible. And he was just getting going. And I think if the Wilds are going to win this series, Kevin Fiala has to be just as good like that uh, because he's going to be a source of all their points, I think. Um, yeah. just from that regard. Um, and that's why he's an X-Factor, just because he could, like, just from that, tw the last 20 games or so of the season, he, he, he took it up a notch and he was, he was really good. Of course, I, I hate him now because I treated him, um, before he got really good. But, um, but, but that's still, he's, uh, he's a really good player for them and he's their highest point scorer on the team which is impressive as I just mentioned because he's not the leading goal scorer or the leading assist guy either um, but he has the most points which is which is interesting in that in that regard um, as for the series um, you had the Canucks going in five I think the Canucks yeah. are a little bit better than that um, I don't I, I don't know if it's going to be a sweep, though, but I think it'll be Canucks in four. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna say the Wild will win at least one game. But, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was debating on if it was a sweep or not, but I think I'll, I'll go with Canucks in four. I'll, I'll give the Wild some respect here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I was looking at how the Wild were playing, like, and I guess the asterisk is, well, the Canucks, you know, they didn't have Markstrom, so yeah. they have him now. Wipe away that stat. Minnesota had won seven of their their final ten games before the season stopped, and they had one more regulation overtime win than Vancouver did. And their power play was over 21%. So, like, they're still a pretty decent team. Um, they're definitely going to be outmatched by Vancouver, and they're going to have to do a lot. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think they're going to do better than people think. I don't think they're going to win this series, but... I think it will go the distance and Vancouver will win, but okay. I wouldn't be surprised if it, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends in four or if it gets wet, frankly. Yeah. It, it depends on how good Vancouver is. Yeah. I mean, it's possible too. Another thing that I guess we forgot to mention, but on the Wilds goaltending side of things, I didn't realize this, but Alex Daylock went 20-11-4 uh, um, and has mm. a save percentage of 9-10 and a GA of 2.67. Uh, Devin Dubnik did not do so well. Uh, he went 12-15-2 with a GAA of 3.35 and a save percentage of uh, below 900 at 890. So, um, yeah, it's just another thing to watch out for, I guess, if uh, maybe Stalock takes over. But that's that's pretty decent from Stalock. I didn't realize he was good. Um, yeah, and they also have a young goalie named Capo Kakadin, yeah, which, hey, too. you know... It, maybe he comes over. Maybe yeah. we see him in this series. Like a Bennington. Maybe he steals it. Who knows? Yeah, like a Bennington Blackwood type thing. That that's possible too. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Now we get to the series that I'm actually looking the most forward to. Um, mm -hmm. We're talking about the Flames and the Jets. 
Um, but first, I'm going to mention that uh, the injuries here, I guess it's Travis Hamanick is the only notable injury from both sides. Um, it seems... Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not playing at all. He, yeah. he bowed Just out of the tournament. Reasons, yeah. so that, and, and a very good shutdown presence for them. So that could, yeah. that could tip the scales a little bit. For sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, in, uh, yeah, I guess the reason why I'm looking forward to this is that both the Flames and the Jets have a lot of forwards and a lot of good defensemen as well, um, and I expect it to be, like, somewhat high scoring, too, even though, I mean, Connor Hellebuck will probably win the Vezina Trophy, but I, I think... Um, both of these teams are like pretty uh, evenly matched too, and it, it, it should should get kind of heated too. Um, so on the flame side of things, you have Matthew Kachuk, Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, and Sean Monahan. Um, so those are like the big four in that regard, um, and like I guess they kind of had. Uh, underwhelming season, except for Matthew Kachuk, he had 61 points in 69 games, so you can't hate that, but Johnny Gaudreau, uh, I think he had his worst season of his year by far, um, where he had 50, 58 points in 70 games, um, which is not good, um, or, I mean, it's decent, but not compared it's, to it's, what It's we're not Johnny Gaudreau good. Right, right. Uh, as opposed to last year, where Goudreau had 99 points in 82 games. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not what we were expecting out of him. Um, and um, and also you have um, Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan on their side of things. Um, and then as for defense, I guess that that is kind of a weakness for them too. Um, Mark Giordano is pretty good. He's their best defenseman with 31 points in 60 games. But um, And Noah Hannafin had 22 points in 70 games, as well as Rasmus Anderson had 22 points in 70 games as well. But, like, I don't know. It, do, it doesn't seem like they um, are taking it up a notch or anything like that. Um, so... I, I would be more questionable on, on how their defense is going through this. Um, and then, as for their goaltending, it's also pretty good. Um, or it's, it's, it's okay, <laughs> I guess. Uh, David Riddick uh, took over from as the primary goaltender. Um, in 48 games, he, had tw- he was 24, 17, and 6. With a 9.07 save percentage and a 2.97 GAA, Cam Talbot uh, was uh, 26 in 26 games. He he fared a little bit better. Uh, he went 12, 10, and one with a 2.63 GAA and a 9.19 save percentage. So I wonder if Cam Talbot will be the primary starter for them during the playoffs. Um, as for the Jets, I mean, we talked about them a bunch, I feel like, throughout the year, but um, we know how good Mark Scheifele, Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine, Blake Wheeler can all be. Um, it's probably the best top six in in the league, I would say. But I think, um, and Ellers, I can't forget Ellers either. Um, but, like, we also don't, 
like a lot's been talked about the fact that the Jets lost Tyler Myers, they lost Jacob Truba, and they also um, Dustin Bufflin decided to retire um, as well. So they don't have, and then Ben Sherriott is another one who they lost too, who's a good shutdown guy. So their defense has been reduced to Neil Pionk, Josh Morrissey, Tucker Pullman, uh, Lucas Sabiza, and Dmitry Kulikov. Um, also Nathan Bulio, Anthony uh, Boteto have been in the mix, Sammy Naiku, Carl Dahlstrom, uh, Billy Hanola had, had his moments early on in the year. So um, their defense isn't as strong. Having said all that, Neil Pionk um, had a breakout year this year. He had kind of replaced uh, Jacob Truba, which is good because that's what the trade was for. Um, but yeah, he had 45 points in 71 games. That's pretty good. I think that that just shows that he was on their power play and stuff. The star of the show, though, and what we talked about uh, two weeks ago now, uh, is Connor Heilbuck, who had um, who has the 9.22 save percentage and a 2.57 GAA. He went 30, 31, 21, and five. Um, he was pretty much, like, if you watch any Winnipeg Jets games at all this year, you realize he's standing on his head, basically. Um, so, um, yeah, he's a big reason why they're good. Um, as for, okay, so I guess I'll do the, the X-Factor stuff. Oh, no, I'll do the pre- predictions first. Um, I think the Flames, um, they're good. It wouldn't surprise me if the Flames win this. But I feel like because Connor Hellebuck, the Connor Hellebuck's factor, and I think like the defense is better than what we're what we're thinking they're gonna be. I think I'm going to go with the Jets in five. Um, just because of that Connor Hellebuck factor, um, that the scoring hasn't been up from the the Flames. So that that's what I'm going with. As for the X factor, um, I I was thinking of going with Andrew Manjapani because uh, he's a decent depth guy. But I think I was when I was looking at the stats here, I noticed that Sean Monahan he had uh, forty eight points in seventy eight games, um, which is uh, his worst total point total since uh, his rookie year, where he had thirty four points in seventy five games. So. Um, so that's his second worst season this year. Um, and yeah, I think he's, um, and I think if the Flames are going to get going again, uh, Sean Monaghan has to pick it up. And, um, so he's going to be my next factor. Yeah, Monaghan and Gaudreau need to be better. There's no question about it. And uh, David Rick is going to have to play a step or two above Hellebuck uh, for the Flames to win this series. Um, And I've been getting interesting vibes from both sides, actually. Uh, You mentioned Sean Monaghan. Him and some of the Flames players sounded very motivated to right the wrongs from last year, um, if you don't recall. As the number one seed going up against a talented and respectable opponent in Colorado, but Colorado is a wild card team, yeah. and and uh, they lost in five games. They won the Pacific Division title, and their season was over in less than a week. And that series still fresh in their minds. I love to see that type of fire, but I feel 
if with that kind of mindset is more of like a not playing to win but playing not to lose and i feel when you get into that mindset you're prone to gripping the stick a little too tight if things go south and uh you you put that against the jets where everything went south for them over and over and over again with with their defense especially and they develop this belief that they can hang with the best of them in the nhl no matter who's out there on the ice and sometimes the belief that your team can win trumps um the urgency not to lose and in a five-game series that mentality could decide the last play and who makes it and who doesn't um if you take a look at their power play um last week i mentioned um that the florida panthers in terms of total power play goals like their top power play unit combined for the most power play goals so that consisted of alex barkov keith yandel evgeny dadinov jonathan huberto mike kaufman they combined for 26 power play goals. Both of these teams are in the top five. Uh, Winnipeg sits third with 24 power play goals. Uh, doing the damage there is Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, Neil Pionk, Patrick Line, and Blake Wheeler. Uh, Calgary right below them in fourth with 22 power play goals between Matthew Kachuk, Sean Monahan, Elias Lindholm, Johnny Gaudreau, and Mark Giordano. Um, in terms of Ford's Winnipeg's group barely edges out Calgary's. Um, both teams near the top of the leaderboard, like I said, in power play goals. Um, the, the Jets are even better when you consider that only the Blue Jackets had fewer power play chances. So Winnipeg was able to make the most out of whatever limited opportunities they had. Um, and uh, that's that's what sticks out to me in particular, is that Winnipeg scored more power play goals despite getting uh, – one of the fewest amount of chances uh, league-wide. Uh, Calgary's mantra is playing good and winning tight games. 16-20-4 uh, and four when giving up the first goal, one of the best win percentages in the NHL under those circumstances. One goal games are 19-5-7, and seven, good for second best league-wide. There are 606 takeaways, fourth most overall as well. Um, and those takeaways likely lead to more offensive chances. So uh, Calgary's got that going for them as well. The Jets' top six, however, is um, their piece de resistance. Um, you look at Josh Morrissey, who has 31 points in 65 games. You have Jack Roslevic underneath him with 29 points. Andrew Kopp has 26 points. Players 10 to 14 on their scoring list have around 10 to 16 points apiece, with that list including names like Tucker Pullman, Dimitri Kulikov, Lucas Spisa, Adam Lowry, and Matthew Perot. Uh, Brian Little... He's on there, seven games, five points, but derailed by injuries. So um, we're likely not to see him in this series. But of those five players that failed to hit 20 points this year, none of them played in at least 60 games, and three of them didn't even hit 50, which, again, points to the amount of injuries they had to deal with. Um, but, again, in terms of depth, they look pretty good. But um, front and center stage is going to be their big guns obviously uh you look at mark shifley 29 goals on 170 shots the only top five scorer on the roster to not even hit 180 shots blake uh, blake wheeler got exactly 180 shots on target everyone else in the top five reached and surpassed 200 shots this year uh kyle connor in particular shot the puck the most he had 166 wrist shots 23 goals on that shot alone uh, ranked in the league's top five for both departments, uh, led the Jets in overall goals with 38, had 239 total shot attempts on target. Uh, Patrick Line and Nikolai Ehlers both had 200 plus shots 
Uh, both had at least 25 goals. Ehlers did it with less than 17 minutes of ice time per game. Uh, but none of them are going to be my X Factor. My X Factor is going to be Neil Peak, um, the newcomer uh, who was known for uh, coming over from the Rangers in the Jacob Truba trade. Uh, quietly had a great year for them. Uh, led all NHL Jets blue liners with 45 points in 71 games. Um, again, as documented, a team that didn't have Dustin Bufflin or Tyler Myers or Ben Sherratt um, and just had a lot of holes on that group. And he averaged 23-23 per game. Uh, the full the full minute uh, higher treatment than his 2017-18 season with the Rangers. Um and his ice time last year uh, in 2018-19 dipped below as well. Um, so it actually went up a couple of minutes from last year. So um, it was a big step up for him. He got the fourth most uh, slap shots in the league with 81 ahead of Shea Weber, who's very good at the slap shot game. Uh, 25 power play points put him in the league's top five defenders. 10 primary power play assists, 12 secondary power play assists. And again, doing it with that ice time, with that defense, it's definitely an accomplishment, and uh, I can definitely see him playing a big role for the Jets in this series. Of course, it goes without saying, if Connor Hellebuck's on his game, uh, Calgary's in trouble. If David Riddick or Cam Talbot or whoever's in net uh, can't match Hellebuck save for save. So that'll definitely be a storyline. Um, it's going five games no matter who wins, and I'm leaning towards Winnipeg for this one. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of surprising because I know we've talked a lot about the, like the Jets' defensive woes, um, but it seems like we don't um, like we talk for all we talk about the Jets' defensive woes. They're still a playoff team. They would have, been, I think, they would have been in the playoffs <laughs> as well. They're still a pretty good at team. least at least yeah. in the conversation. Like they were very close. Yeah, it's but like it's it's weird because whenever I like look at the Vegas odds or things like that, they all they always have the Jets as one of the worst teams. Like they don't think the Jets are like they have the worst odds to win the whole thing, and that doesn't make sense mm. to me because it's like they're still a good team. <laughs> it's just um, I, I don't know. It, like if I were if I were a gambler, I would put some money on the Jets. Um, just because I, th- I think it's like they still have a chance to, to win the Stanley Cup. Like I know they have defensive issues, but um, there's there's still there's still like you can't really count that team out. I feel like um, yeah, like you, you look yeah. at Calgary's defense. Like again, Travis Hamnick's not playing. Mark Giordano yeah. uh, offensively took a step back and is getting up there in age. He's in his late thirties now. Um, are you sure Calgary's defense is better than Winnipeg's? Yeah. Like, it could be dead even there. Yeah. Um, before we get going to the round robin, I just wanted to do some quick Bruins news. Because uh, mm. I'm looking on Twitter here. Uh, first off, uh, as I mentioned last week, Jackson Nicka, like has a chance to like be on the top six during this round robin. Um, it looks like he's uh, Bruce Cassidy had confirmed that he is going to be on the second line with Krejci and Jake DeBrusque, so uh, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Um, so I guess he's going to be the right winger uh, there. So that's is, gonna be is this is this just for the exhibition game, or is it going to be like that uh, heading into the round robin as well? Well, I think it's because uh, Nick Ritchie and Andre Cache are both out or injured, right? Um, so. I think that's and Pasternak as well, I guess. Yeah, but 
but yeah, I think um, I think that's that's partly to do with it. But I think it's also like uh, to see what what he can do while you're like. I guess maybe the Bruins don't necessarily care if they're gonna be uh, the first ranked or the fourth ranked. So um, yeah, I guess they're just taking this opportunity to to see how Stunnika does with with this um, mm-hmm. new thing. Yeah. And, and also you mentioned just just experiment with a couple of things right and yeah you know in case if you do get into a doomsday scenario right. then you have an idea well this this line showed some chemistry right, let's right. see what they can do exactly um and then also um you mentioned Pasternak just briefly but i <laughs> apparently he uh he had to do a uh, 28 total days of quarantine because he had 14 days after flying back to the u.s and then another 14 mm-hmm. days after he uh he skated at the rink in Malden, um, Massachusetts, um, at the start of phase, phase three. So, um, so he he was out a month just because he was in quarantine, uh, which is crazy. So what you're saying is that his shot should be at a hundred percent. Basically, yes. He, uh, but like he's he's probably a little bit rusty, I would imagine, but um, we'll see. Um, all right, so let's go to uh, the round robin here. Uh, the Blues are the first team they're the first ranked team here and uh yeah they're i mean you can't (laughs) talking about never counting out teams you can't count out the stanley cup champion uh team especially um this blues team when they have like a break of five games they don't have any like huge injuries going on i guess vince dunn and uh jay bonelyster are both out um, but they were out before all this stuff happened, um, so so that's um, something to keep in mind. Um, and then of course you have like Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen. Uh, I guess Tarasenko is going to be back too. Um, I just remembered. So so that's that's going to be exciting for for the Blues because we didn't ex- before the playoffs. You didn't expect him um, if this was a re- like a normal season. We didn't expect uh, Tarasenko to be playing, but it looks like he's going to be back. So that should be fun and exciting to see how he does with a, a bunch of games that he missed. So um, that should right. be interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, like, I think, like, it's tough to preview, like, teams, like, in the round robin because it's, it's tough. But, um, yeah, they're, they're a good team. Um, and... I think it's also interesting to like the Bruins. They're, they're, uh, Alex Petrangelo is going to be their, you know, their best defenseman. It's going to be um, a free agent this year, so this could be their last shot with Petrangelo in the lineup. Um, and yeah, they have they have a realistic shot at, at winning it all. But I'll let you go and talk about your, the team here. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they do have a lot of um, dangerous pieces on there, which is why, you know, at the first question that everyone asks about the team that wins the Stanley Cup right away is like, well, can they do it again next year? Right. Um, and you'll look at the fact that they were able to finish first in the Western Conference, 42, 19, and 10 record, 8, 2, and 0 in their final 10 games before the season stopped, less than 200 goals against, not even 230 goals scored. Um, and they still finished first in the conference without Tarasenko for like pretty much three quarters of the year. Um, I would say their chances are pretty good. 
Um, like you look at guys like David Perron and Braden Shen, both had 25 goals to lead the roster. Uh, Jaden Schwartz had 22 goals of his own. All three of those guys combined for 29 power play goals. Um, you had eight other skaters posting around 10 to 16 goals on the year. Uh, Vince Dunn had nine goals in 71 games as a defenseman. Um, 10 of his 23 points with the extra man as well. Um, six guys had 30 plus assists. One of those guys uh, with at least 30 helpers was Robert Thomas. He was six on the team for that category and six on the team in scoring with 42 points. Um, then you had eight others posting double-digit uh, totals on the assist column. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly ended up being the only guy to surpass 40 assists on the roster. Also led the team in points with 61. Uh, wasn't holding an outright lead on the point scoring race because David Braun had 60 points in 71 games. Braden Shen had 58. Uh, Schwartz had 57. Petrangelo, you mentioned, the good season he had. Led all Blues defenders with 52 points. Um, and then you look at uh, the depth below that. Uh, Sanford, Bozak, Greco, Barbashev, Sunquist, Vince Dunn all posted between 23 and 30 points. Alexander Steen, one of their top penalty killing forwards, 17 points. Uh, Sammy Blade played in 14 game. Uh, Sammy Blade played in 40 four zero games and got 13 points. Uh, Carl Gunnarsson, who is not known for offense, more so shutdown defense. Uh, he played in 36 games and got seven points, which is a pretty decent points per game average for him um and then you look at justin falk who failed to reach 20 points in his first year at the blues organization and tarasenko as we mentioned had 10 points but only played 10 games those two guys for various reasons were not delivering and they still finished tops in the western conference simply because they they played like a good team uh four fewest shots against per game 29.6 league-wide 18, 3, and 10 in one goal games. That's top five league wide again. Uh, top three penalty kill, or uh, top three power play rather. Um, 29, 2, and 8 when scoring first. Um, didn't block too many shots, but I, again, you don't have to block too many shots if you don't turn the puck over. And similar to Minnesota, the Blues, uh, very good puck discipline. They're very controlled with the puck and they don't give it away too much. And then uh, you look at guys um scoring big goals in big moments uh 10 players had at least two game winners this year david braun near the top of the nhl with nine he had four ot winners to lead the league um three players including uh zach sanford had three game winners um guys with two game winners barbashev bozak thomas and mckenzie mckeckern yeah. and mckeckern only scored seven times all year two of them were game winners uh, and then you had six other skiers with at least uh, one game winner. Um, so, yeah, overall, I would say the St. Louis Blues are a pretty good team. If I had to pick an X factor, though, um, I would choose Robert Thomas. Um, because, like I said, 42 points in 66 games is pretty good. Only has one goal and six helpers with the extra man. So most of that damage is on even strength. Only averaged 14 minutes and 34 seconds per game in year two as an NHLer. Only took 87 shots, scored 10 times. Third on the team in takeaways with 46. Only committed 30 giveaways. And he might not have 100 power play minutes under his belt, but um, you look at the top three guys on the Blues, they have at least 200 minutes of power play ice time. So it's not like Robert Thomas can necessarily find those power play minutes outside of, you know, maybe 
taking the scraps of whoever's not taking Tarasenko's minutes. Um, but again, he is a big game, big moment player. In that game against Dallas, double OT game seven, he hits the post, Maroon cleans up the mess, and the Blues win the series and eventually win the Stanley Cup. That was a big play, and Robert Thomas started that by making a big play, taking that shot, and then Patrick Maroon was right place, right time, game over. Um, so you need guys like Robert Thomas uh, to perform, and it's not just Robert Thomas that the Blues have to do that. Um, but I definitely think he's the guy that sticks out to me as being one of those players that could really define, really change a series. Um, if I had to also pick one adjustment for the Blues, it's how their penalty kill is going to work without Jay Bomister. Um, he, he's likely never going to play hockey again, and he was right up there in uh, penalty killing minutes, which means... Like, the dude even logged more minutes on the penalty kill than Petrangelo did. Right. So Petrangelo's going to have to pick some of those up. Colton Pareko, Robert Bortuzzo, same thing. And both of them were, were like, picking up decent amount of penalty killing minutes to begin with. So it's not like uncharted territory for them. Um, but they're going to have to pick up the slack a little bit now that they know Bomister is not going to be there. Right, right. Um, although Bomister missed a, a fair amount of games already. Um, he did, yes. So I think and the fact that the fact that everyone is well rested is definitely going to help uh, the penalty killers too. Yeah, I I will say you mentioned Zach Sanford briefly there, but I will say that I just remember uh, during the Stanley Cup Finals he was uh, very very good uh, to me, and he he had a decent mm -hmm. season this year too, uh, with uh, thirty points in fifty eight games. So um, he's I think he. If I yeah, had, I think, I think yeah. 16 goals as well, which yeah. is pretty good. Yeah, pretty good too. Especially for someone who, yeah, like, he had like 12 minutes of ice time um, on average. So that's, um, that's oh, 13 minutes of ice time. Still pretty good. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah. Uh, I wanted to shout him out. Um, okay, let's go to the next yeah. team here. Still pretty good, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's go to the next team here, the the Colorado Avalanche, yeah. who are the second seed here. Um, yeah, I mean, we mentioned here this before uh, when we were talking about the, you know, during the awards show, but the Avalanche had, uh, were not, uh, were not very healthy, um, wholly healthy at all to a lot of their key guys. Uh, Mika Rantanen missed time, Philip Grubauer missed time, um, so did um, Landeskog for a time. Uh, I think there was a couple of other guys. Kale McCarr missed some some moments as well. Um, Andre Burakovsky towards the end there too. So, so yeah, they like just before the regular season ended, the Avalanche were like just not um, <laughs> were like just a bunch of injured guys basically, um, except for and, and Nathan McKinnon. Um, so uh, now uh, now that they have a bit of rest, it seems like the only questionable person is Kale McCarr, but it looks like he played to, uh, in scrimmage today, so I think he's okay. Uh, we'll see. I guess we can just keep an eye on it. But, um, but yeah, it's, they're, they're back, and all, all those guys are back, and, um, 
and it's and they're 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 a force to be reckoned with, especially when you have guys like McKinnon, and Ranton and Landeskog. Um, they're usually <laughs> that's the usual top line, except now a big difference is is that they have a legitimate second line now with uh, Nazem Kadri at center. You have Burakovsky who also broke out, as well as uh, JT Comfer, um, Valenichushkin also made some had some things going on in the regular season too. So, um, so their depth is a lot better than what it was in, in years past. Um, and you also have um, and you also have the added benefit of having Kale McCarr, who should win the Calder, or he's my no- nomination for the Calder, um, and he's going to help their team a, a, a bunch in, the, in that regard. Um, and also Sam Girard is the other one who, who kind of um, who made some noise too. Um, as for my X Factor, I'm going to go with Andre Burakovsky. Um, he... That's a good one. Yeah, it's interesting with Andre Burakovsky because I remember he was first put on the scene when he was on the Capitals um, for all those runs. Um, and during the, that postseason, uh, he had... Um, let me look here. He had uh, six points in 13 games that year, which is, uh, I mean, not bad, but pretty, pretty good um, at the same time. So he, um, and then I guess um, he didn't have as good of a year the ne- the following year, um, and then this year he goes to Colorado, um, and all of a sudden he's like the the guy the depth piece that the Avalanche need, um, and he has forty five points in fifty eight games, twenty goals, um, and he he's really like he's become like their fourth best player on the team, um, and the other crazy thing about it is he's only 25 years old, so that's still pretty young, um, and I, I think he can only get better, um, and he's he's kind of like an underrated guy in that regard, like, you're obviously going to watch the Avalanche for um, McKinnon, Rantanen, uh, Kim Lacar, Landeskog, um, and, and even Grubauer to some extent, but... Burakovsky could be up there if, if he gets if he really gets going because because um, he he put up some decent numbers now I mean now we just need to see how consistent he can be but um, he was even more impressive during the postseason I remember during the that Capitals run so yeah he's my, he's gonna be my X factor and someone to to look out for. Yeah, the thing with uh, Colorado is. Um they're they're not in in i guess i guess they are in a similar situation as st louis where they've had um injuries to keep players the difference is um with st louis it was just one guy with colorado it was several <laughs> right, right like there was time where gabriel Landeskog didn't play there were times where miko Rantanen didn't play and in particular um they had one guy just being the one constant and uh, that one guy was nathan mckinnon right. uh, we talk about how meaningful artemi panarin was to the rangers if you look at nathan mckinnon's 82 game pace he was on track to record 42 goals 69 helpers nice 111 points 378 shots on goal 656 shot attempts a plus 20 penalty differential 
and a total of 24 points in a 14-game stretch without Rantanen and Landis Cog. Yeah. And that is going to be the big weapon for Colorado. Not the X Factor, but, like, obviously the big weapon that everyone's going to watch out for. And as a result, guys like Burakovsky are just going to low-key just slot into that lineup and maybe have uh, more shooting lanes to work with, which um, I think is something uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, Another thing to keep an eye on for uh, the Colorado Avalanche is their goaltending because you take a look at what uh, St. Louis had to work with. The Jordan Bennington at time tag consistency issues still got 30 wins. Uh, Meantime, his backup Jake Allen was second in goals against average this year, also fourth in NHL state percentage and went 12-6-3 as a backup. So that's pretty good for a backup. And with Colorado, they're rolling two pretty good goaltenders. Um, just taking a look right now. Uh, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, Grubauer, as mentioned, um, heard a few times this year. Pavel Francis was asked to step it up during his rookie campaign. He won 21-7-4 with a top five per save percentage in the NHL, 923. A respectable 2.41 goals against average over 31 starts. And uh, when Grubauer played, he did pretty good as well. 18, 12, and 4, 2.63 goals against average, 916 save percentage in 36 starts. Um, you also had Michael Hutchinson spending a bit of time in Colorado, Antoine Bebo, Adam Werner. All three of those goalies ended up getting one victory. Um, so whoever played in goal for the Avs, you got at least one victory. Right. Um, and this is the second time in three years um, after after moving on from Patrick Wall, this is the second time in three years where the Avs have won at least 40 games uh, under Jared Bednar, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, overall, their offense averages 15.2 slot shots per game behind only three other NHL teams. That's very good. By himself, Nathan McKinnon has 167 shots from the slot. Uh, that's seven shy of tying Austin Matthews and Kyle Connor for the overall lead. Uh, fourth most in the NHL in zone entries with 504 as well. McDavid leads the way with 527. Uh, in terms of offenses with more goals scored than Colorado, Tampa Bay and Toronto, that's pretty much it. And it's it's good that you can finish near the top in goal scoring, but what about goals against? How many goals against do you give up every game? Well, the Avs are the only club in the NHL this season to finish top five in goals scored and top five for fewest goals allowed, which again tells you a lot about how good Colorado is at playing their game, but also playing smart and not getting caught up in what the opponent is trying to do. And you couple that with their red hot power play, the the fact they've been able to generate several power play chances per game like 300 like 400 power play chances or something crazy like that near the top of the league again this year it's been a constant theme with Bednar as coach with the offense that they've had to work with um I really like what Colorado has the potential of becoming this year and uh, I expect them to go deep in the playoffs and I really hope they do because yeah. it would be fun to watch yeah they're, they're a strong candidate for for that for sure um, all right, let's go to the Golden Knights here. Uh, they're the third-ranked team here. Um, I guess before before you go on, um, Mark Andre Fleury. Um, it looks like he he might be injured. Um, 
and might not play, um, which will be interesting. I mean, it, it's good that they got uh, Robin Lanner, so that, that should help them. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it also looks like Max Pacioretty is uh, listed as unfit to play. Um, it says that he has a minor injury, so maybe it's not COVID-related at least, but um, he should be considered day-to-day, as they're saying, officially. So, yeah. Yeah, and an- another thing that was working for Vegas is their play down the stretch. Uh, if you look at Colorado, they were 7-2-1. and one. Vegas says, well, uh, we we prefer one extra win, so they went 8-2-0 and in yeah. uh, their final 10 games before play was stopped. Um, one thing I noticed during their training camp is um, they were experimenting a lot with their lines. Um, you can tell that Vegas is up to something almost every single time. Um, and this time it's just been a matter of throwing things on the ice and seeing what sticks. Uh, in the case of a doomsday scenario where someone gets COVID or whatever, or someone gets hurt, and they need to think of something on the fly. And uh, Vegas has been pretty good at adapting so far. And just to indicate what kind of line juggling I'm talking about, here's a combo they put out July 14th. William Carlson centering a line with Mark Stone and Braden Packle. That's the top line. Braden Packle on the left wing, Mark Stone on the right wing. And Mark Stone has played uh, top line minutes in Ottawa, so it's not a new thing to him. Braden Packle on line one is is interesting. Um, then you look at line two, Paul Stasny centering a line with Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith. Line three featured Nick Waugh as the center with Alex Tuck and Chandler Stevenson on the wings. Fourth line center, Nick Cousins with Ryan Reeves and Will Carrier next to him on either side. Uh, not surprising there because Reeves and Carrier have been uh, that one to a physical punch um, that's been just catapulting that fourth line, probably the best fourth line in the league, I would argue. Uh, and Pacioretty wasn't present for that day in question, uh, so it explains why Packle was on the first line. But even still, um, putting Packle on the first line is, is pretty interesting because, you know, you, there are a lot of other options they could have put on the first line on the left side, and they chose him. So that's pretty interesting there. Um, in terms of the back end for July 14th, McNabb and Schmidt were the top pairing. Blue liners, Martinez and Theodore on the second pairing. Holden and White Cloud on the third pairing. Leonard and Fleury occupying a, a solid one-two punch in net, of course. Um, like I said, rest is probably going to benefit Fleury. He played in 46, 61, and 49 games his first three years at Vegas, including this one. Uh, 905 save percentage this season posted six shutouts near the top of the league and shutouts. Um, again, Rest is going to be a weapon for him. So should Robin Leonard, uh, because on the list of league's top netminders, he posted a 0.53 expected versus actual goals against, all alone in first place, faced a lot of repper in Chicago. Now that he's rested and ready to go, I definitely think um, that that will be um, an, another useful weapon for Vegas, where if one goalie struggles, they can easily go to the other guy, and they feel pretty confident uh, that he can do a pretty good job. Um, the thing that I've always liked about Vegas is their ability to play very different styles of hockey and just like turn on a dime. They play a fast tempo game, uh, in the 2018 series against the Sharks. We really saw it. Like I thought San Jose was fast in their first round matchup. They go up against Vegas and Vegas is just on them like hounds. 
the entire second period, like the Sharks just couldn't really get a flow going because Vegas was always rushing the passer. Just every single time, the, the Sharks would try to make a pass and Vegas has a guy right on him. So if if the Sharks player gets a pass away, um, it's not going to be clean and crisp the odd time. It might be a bit rushed, which is, again, what Vegas does. Uh, and they're also physical. Over 1,900 hits this year, third most in the NHL. Um, they force turnovers with their speed and their physicality. 682 takeaways for us in the league. Mark Stone, again, takeaway king, second in that department this year by himself. Um, his total differential in giveaways and takeaways, by the way, is 40. He has 40 more give, uh, 40 more takeaways than giveaways, which is pretty something. Uh, you look at Riley Smith, Shea Theodore, and William Carlson. They have around 54 to 58 takeaways each. Uh, Stastny fourth with, on the team with uh, 41 takeaways and only 18 giveaways to his name on top of that. And when you play like that, it leads to offense. They're near the top in shots per game. They're near the top in slot shots per contest. They average 15.8. Inner slot shot, again, you guessed it, top five in the league at 7.4. And overall, like I said, shots per game near the top of the league, uh, 34.5, which is pretty something. Uh, One thing that does surprise me is uh, when getting a shot, they're 11-8-1, which is uh, near the worst in the league. but it's because more often than not, they're out shooting the other team. And when out shooting opposing teams, they're 28, 12, and 7, which is pretty good. Uh, if I have to say one secret uh, plan of attack for the Golden Knights to not get themselves in trouble is don't take penalties. Because they might not be top five in terms of most power play chances against, but their success rate is 76.6%, which is fifth worst overall. To put that into perspective, Ottawa, who no longer has Mark Stone, killed off 76.1% of the sins they committed, gave up the second most power play goals and got tested the fourth most times. And they were 0.5% worse than Vegas. So um, Vegas don't take penalties is my main message. Uh, In terms of X factors, I'm going to go with Will Carrier. Uh, In case you didn't already know, um, we, we talked about Ryan Reeves and Braden McNabb being heavy hitting machines they have posted at least 200 hits on the campaign reeves alone has 316 um but will carrier like ryan reeves is in the nhl's top five in terms of hits per 60 minutes and this is why 213 hits seven goals 12 assists 19 points almost 20 points that's pretty good for a fourth liner almost 100 shots on the button he averaged less than 10 minutes per game so if you're playing against Vegas, watch out for Will Carrier because um, he could be one of those sleeping giants uh, that could emerge for Vegas and just really take over a series. He might not do it offensively, but all the little things you expect him to do, he's going to bring it. Yeah, that's interesting. I was expecting you to go with Mark Stone. but uh, Yeah, I thought that'd be too him. easy, though. Yeah, for sure. That'd be too easy. We, we know uh, how good Mark Stone is. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah he'll, he'll, he'll need to be his usual self as well. <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking because I know how much you love him. So, <laughs> I'm um, a big Mark Stone fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now we go to – yeah, you, you pretty much synopsis the, uh, the Golden Knights pretty well there. 
Um, yeah, I think the interesting, I'll be curious to see how they uh, do with Leonard and Flurry in the mix, because I was curious mm-hmm. to see if, even when, if the playoff, the regular season wasn't canceled, um, because cause you have both guys who could both, who are both still like pretty good players, um, and I, I was just curious how they're going to do that in the playoffs when like you can't do like one one plays one game and then the other plays the next game, some something like that. So, um, so I was curious to see who would actually be the starter, um, and that's my biggest uh, like question mark, I guess, is just how how that's going to actually work. But um, yeah, from the the forwards and the defense, they're all pretty solid, and the goaltending is also solid too. So they're they're going to be a legitimate force um, to be reckoned with, whoever they play in the next round. Um, okay, let's go with the Dallas Stars here. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but fun fact, uh, the Dallas Stars actually got me into hockey. Um, I yep. was, uh, I was, a uh, Brett Hull was on the Dallas Stars team, and that's when I started following, uh, the NHL, um, and, and that was a big player for him, um, at the time. I also, like, then I was fell in love with that video game, and then I was like, "Oh, Mike Medano's good, Daring Hatcher, and all those guys are pretty good." Of course, since uh, recent years now, I'm I'm more of a Bruins fan than a Stars fan, but I still keep tabs with them every now and then. Um, so so this is it's fitting that I have them as my X Factor team here, because because uh, now it's like I'm reliving my past self now. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, the, the interesting thing about the Stars is that I feel that they, uh, before the season ended, and I'm looking at their schedule, because I remember, uh, someone was telling me how, like, like, this, this Dallas Stars were probably wishing that, um, were hoping that the season was canceled, because they were on a six-game losing streak at the time, <laughs> um, and uh, and then in fact they had the last ten games they were three five and two, um, mm-hmm. so that's not good. <laughs> um, and yeah, I I remember a couple yeah. of years ago when Hitchcock was their coach and they looked in prime position to make the playoffs and then they went on that massive slide and they yeah. never recovered and they missed the playoffs. And so it, yeah, so it's it's like an interesting thing because now technically. They are better than the Oilers, but like mm-hmm. realistically, I feel like the like if the Stars had played seventy one games like the Oilers had, I think the roles would be reversed. Where the mm-hmm. Stars like, would be you, you take you take a look at the top four teams in the West. Yeah. Three of them are in the Central Division. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that has something to do with it, but I think like it's. It, I what I'm saying is I feel like the Stars aren't as good as the Oilers. <laughs> um, so, in terms uh, of offense, yeah. certainly yeah, not. in terms of <laughs> offense. But they do have some uh, defense, for sure. Uh, ben Bishop's mm-hmm. a pretty a good goalie. Um, that's saying something. They, have, they went 21-16, and he went 21-16-4 and four, uh, with a 9-20 save percentage and a 2.5 GAA, which is pretty good. Um, incredible, in fact. But... Kadobin, who's the backup, he went 16, 8, and 4 
with a 9.30 save percentage and a 2.22 GAA, which is also pretty pretty good, um, or even even more incredible than than Bishop. So, mm-hmm. so that that's a big part of why they were even able to do so well. And then of course, like the other teams that we've talked about, like the Coyotes, the Predators, and the um, the Flames, um, and the Wild to some extent too. Um, they, what's, remarka- what's remarkable about Hugh Doman's numbers is he didn't post a single shutout all year. Yeah, oh, I didn't even notice that. But yeah, that's that's also, that's pretty incredible with a 9.30 save percentage. Yeah, to, yeah. Lead, to lead the league and yep. finish third in goals against average and you didn't get a single shutout, that tells you right. plenty. Yeah, so back to my other point. Um, Tyler, uh, the, uh, the offense... Um, like the Coyotes, Predators, and Flames in Wild to some extent, the the Stars don't really have offense. Um, like they yeah, do. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty dormant. Yes, yeah. nights. They do have Tyler Sagan. Um, of course, he's he's really good. I should know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Ben. He hasn't he he hasn't been as good as year, in years past. And that's a big reason why I feel like the the scoring hasn't been as good, but, um, but he's still he, he's their second leading uh, point getter on this team. You also have uh, on the defensive side of things you have Miro Heiskanen, Essa Lindell, and um, what's his face John Klingberg. Yeah. Um, and then on the offense, you know, you have those two tandems of Ben and Sagan. Um, but you also have Radulov, Rupe Hintz, who we'll get into in a second, uh, Giryanov, who had 20 goals, leading goal scorer on the team. There, also had seven was, power play goals. Seven power play goals, yeah. Uh, Joe Pavelski, he, he hasn't been as good, but he's still 31 he's points all right. in 67 games. Not, um, not what we were expecting, really, even though I guess he's like 34 years old or something like that. So... Um, <laughs> And then Corey Perry was the other one who, um, who made some a difference somewhat. Well, he didn't really make a difference really, but he had twenty one points in fifty seven games. Um, so I thought like I remember thinking that I thought Pavelski and Perry could could make some some noise, but it turned out they haven't. Um, but the team that the the my X factor that I'm going to talk about here is um, is Rupe Hints. Um, he was my X Factor last year, if I remember correctly. That might be so, yeah. Um, the reason why he's my X Factor here is that, um, yes, we, we know that Sagan, Ben, Radulov, they all need to be better than what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with Pavelski and Perry. But Rupe Hintz um, is like, but the thing with them is that they're all like, um, either 30 years old or in their late 20s. So, whereas for Rupe Hintz, he's 23 years old, um, mm-hmm. and he has, like, another season under his belt, um, yeah. so to speak. And uh, his rookie year was, was very impressive. He had 22 points in 58 games um, and all that stuff. But this year, um, a little bit, le- he wasn't on pace like he was last year, but... Still pretty decent. Um, he had a 33 points in 60 games, um, so he, he did better. He had 19, 19 goals um, 
of those 33 points. So he almost had 20, 20 goals in le, um, before the regular season would have ended. I would presume he would be in the tw- late 20s um, if he played a full 82 games. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be a good death piece for, for the Dallas Stars and someone that if the Stars are going to make a decent run, which I'm not sure if that this is their year, but if they are going to do that, then I think Rupe Hintz will have to take it into a second gear and uh, take it into another level, and that, that's going to be their, their, their prime spot there and uh, something to, to look forward to. Um, yeah, and I think uh, the Stars are... Um, I don't think they're as good as the teams that have a buy, quote unquote, buy. But they are, um, they're still a good team and could could surprise um, when the playoffs actually get going. The next round. Yeah, I I mean, you you take a look at Tyler Sagan. At least he got fifty points, but yep. nobody else in the team got forty. Right, so. right, right, exactly. Um, and like the only two teams that got fewer goals were Detroit and LA and both missed the playoffs. So, um, by several miles, they're the lowest scoring team out of this group. Um, but still, you know, you take a look at their depth. It's pretty respectable. Six guys got between 31 and 39 points. Uh, Pavelski and Ben both on that list. Miro Heiskanen, uh, had 35 points to lead all Dallas blue liners. Um, you had six other players with 20 to 29 points. Nine skaters posted at least 100 shots for Dallas. Uh, Heiskanen and Ben had 163 shots apiece. Sagan had 245 on his own. Um, and, yeah, it, it wasn't pretty, but they won 37 of 69 games, and they got at least a point in 45 of 69 games. So um, call their approach what you will. It's it's similar to the Islanders. Like before they changed coaches a couple of years ago, this was one of those teams that had freewheeling, freewheeling offense, you know, that no limits. They could do whatever the heck they wanted with the puck, but they paid for it on the defensive side and it cost them. And since sacrificing offense for defense, it's led to better results and it might not look pretty, it might not be what they're capable of fully um, under a better offensive system, but it's gotten them the most results. And um, you look at their record in games where the other team scores first, they're 14, 19, and four, which isn't bad. Only four other clubs have had a better win percentage when uh, giving up the first goal. And they don't allow too many inner slot shots per game. They allow 5.7 this year, which is um, near the bottom of the league, which is great. And they're just sticking to the defensive brand, and it's been and it's been helping. So if their defense is shining and their goaltending is doing what it's supposed to and keeping the pucks out of the net, don't discount what this team can do. They should be uh, they should be pretty good. Uh, me personally, if I had to pick an X factor, I would go with like some of the bench warmers like Jason Robertson, Ty Delantry, and Thomas Harley. I it would not surprise me if those guys not only get ice oh, time point, yeah. but play meaningful roles in this playoff run, however yeah. long it goes. I didn't realize that those guys were on the on the lineup. Um, yeah, they are. As for so uh what do you rank these these uh four teams um, in terms of the round over? Oh man, this is tougher than the than the East, arguably. Yeah. Um, 
interesting thing about Dallas is uh, Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan have apparently been reunited on the top line. So Gurionov and Heinz are looking for new line mates at oh. the moment. Uh, I don't think either scenario is going to help the Stars' offense wake up. They need, like I said, defense and goaltending to right. uh, be their mantra once again. They're missing Roman Polak, who will not be in the bubble and is signed in Europe next year. So he's done. His time is done in Dallas. Um, so I think Dallas is going to be at the bottom simply because not not because they're a bad team, but their offense, I don't think, will be able to keep up with the others. Um and no matter where they go in the first round, they're still going to give a team a run for their money. Um, but again, their offense just not capable of keeping up with the rest. I can see Colorado getting the top seed. I really, I really, really do. They're healthy again. They're a motivated bunch. They did great things in the playoffs last year. They did great things this season with the adversity they faced. I expect great things for them. Um, my guess is going to be Vegas the number two. I expect them to make a splash. Uh, not going to be easy, though. The Blues are going to be neck and neck with them. Uh, I think the Blues will have to settle for third. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if they finished second, but I would go Vegas two, St. Louis three. Uh, Dallas will have to sell for fourth. And uh, again, like I said, Colorado will take the top spot. Right. Yeah, I feel like it's, I wouldn't be surprised if St. Louis, Colorado, or Vegas get the top spot, but... I'm going to go with uh, Vegas 1, Colorado 2, and St. Louis 3, um, and then Dallas 4. Um, yeah, yeah. You're, the, the, Mark, the Mark Stone, it, it's, it's irresistible. You exactly, know, The yes. play of Mark Stone, you're, of course. You, you, of you course. can't help but not cheer for that, right? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, you know what it is? It's because uh, the division rivals of Pacioretty and Stone are now I can I can root for them so uh, yeah that's, that's they're, really they're easy to get behind exactly um, all right that about does it for us um, I I'm I'm gonna I apologize for any technical difficulties um, but I'm gonna try my best to edit this out um, so uh, yeah enjoy the playoffs hockey's finally back. Um, <laughs> Finally. Finally. Uh, let's do, yeah, the, uh, so you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. Um, our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Bellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 230 where we'll have some live hockey to react to on the Lace Em Up Podcast. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve.